0: Good afternoon. I'm Om Zaidi, and welcome to a Euroactive hybrid conference um, supported by the European Fruit Juice Association. Now, today. We're gonna be wrapping our brains around empowering consumers to make healthy choices. A big welcome to our in-person audience and thank you to everyone who is joining online. And as always, if you have a question or a comment to do please put it into our Slido chat page, um, and we will come to your questions a little bit later on in the program. So, as always, do get involved. So, healthy choices as I utter those words. Do I perhaps sense a little bit of guilt around the room? Who's perhaps eaten? a pan au chocolat or maybe perhaps someone's still digesting their frites from last night. In any case, making healthy choices is never easy. One thing that of course does help us in deciding what we pick off the supermarket shelves and what we put into our bellies, labeling. Whether it is for food or beverages, they can really help you make informed choices, especially if you have specific dietary needs. Nutritional labelling for prepackaged food and drink has been mandatory in the EU since around 20. 20- 16. Um, but rules on what goes on the front of packaging hasn't been harmonised across the EU, but that could potentially change. Now under the current EU rules, it's not mandatory to provide nutrition information on the front of packages, but companies can provide it voluntarily under certain conditions. So the kind of information that, that perhaps you can see on the front is the fat content, the energy content, salt and sugar. The best example I can think of, because I use it quite a bit, is pasta. Thank <sighs> you. You can also have summary indicators which give the item a grading nutrition score from A to E or packaging that can carry an endorsement. Now the EU Commission is of course working on a proposal for standardisation for front of pack nutrition labelling as part of the EU farm to fork action plan. It could help companies of course bring down their costs and simplify choices for consumers and it could also incentivise companies to improve the nutritional quality of the products that they produce by perhaps reducing salt or reducing the sugar in the product itself. But it seems that lawmakers still, of course, can't quite decide what to do with front of pack labeling. So that decision has now been pushed back to around 2023, so next year. So what's the state of play and what, or could, or not be considered healthy or not, let's ask our experts. Okay, so time now to introduce our panel of experts. Um, Joining is Rosa Dominic Amado, who's the acting director for One Health at DJ Sante at the European Commission, who joins remotely. Welcome, and it was good to speak to you a few days ago. Um, We also have MEP Christine Schneider, who's the member of Agri Committee at the European Parliament, welcome. She does also need to leave early, so do please everyone keep that in mind. Uh, We also will be having joining us remotely is Thomas Sokal, MEP, who's a substitute for the NV Committee uh, for the European Parliament, who is joining remotely. He's a little bit late. I think he's stuck in another meeting, so he will be joining us soon. And we have Emma Calvert, who's a senior food policy officer. Um, We also have Dr. Kerry Ruxton, who's a science director at the Fruit Juices Science Centre. And we also have Milika Jevtik, I think I pronounced that correctly. Thank you. Um, The regulatory consultant at the European Fruit Juice Association. So thank you. To you all and um, always good to see so many women on a panel it's always fantastic to see that <laughs> and it's always a good thing to say as well because it doesn't happen all the time okay so now to introduce themselves first of all we go to um, our panelists from the european commission rosa please do introduce yourself <laughs>
1: Thank you, thank you very much, uh, and uh, thank you very much for for inviting me to this to this uh, debate. I'm very happy to see a panel which is more than paritarian, uh, so uh, that's that's quite a bit of a, an exception uh, these days. Um, as you said, uh, uh, the Commission is in line with the Farm to Fork strategy, but also uh with uh, the european beating cancer plan working on the revision of the uh regulation for food information to consumers um our ambition is to empower consumers to make informed healthy and sustainable food choices the ongoing revision does not only concern front of pack nutrition labeling uh, and, and obviously the setting of the of the nutrient profiles to restrict the claims but also extending uh, origin indication for certain products, uh, the revision of the rules on date marking, and uh, the the ones that are best before and and, and used by, and also the labeling of alcoholic uh, um, beverages. Like for all the legislative proposals, uh, we're working on an impact assessment, uh, which is based on the scientific opinion Uh, among other things, uh, on the scientific opinion of EFSA, of the European Food Safety Authority, and also the Joint Research uh, Center. Um, But also we've done plenty of uh, consultations to citizens, to stakeholders, some targeted um, services with member states, businesses, uh, SMEs and consumer and health organisations, and uh, the representative of uh, uh, BERG uh, knows that. Um, uh, as you know, uh, member states, some member states have introduced uh, national recommendations and even legislation on all these, uh, on several of these uh, four trends I was referring to. And uh, while it shows that the different approaches. Uh, based on uh, dietary habits, you were referring to, uh, to diets and, uh, and clearly there are uh, different dietary habits and consumer preferences in, in the different parts of Europe. But at the same time, it is true, and, uh, and we've had uh, some, some recent discussions uh, in the margin of the Council as well, uh, well the majority of member states uh, would rather prefer to have harmonized rules at EU level than uh, than um, the national uh, measures. Uh, therefore, it is important that a future uh, um, proposal at EU level is balanced and has a real added value for citizens and uh, and, and also for our food businesses. Uh, so, as I said, the preparatory work is still underway. Uh, we're still um, ensuring to have all uh, strong evidence uh, um, on, on the basis of these first times I was referring to, and I'm sure that today's debate uh, will also be very informative, uh, and for me and, and for the Commission uh, in this process. Thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you so much. We will of course be discussing um, that preparation work that you spoke about about the proposal. Um, next to MEP Schneider, please introduce yourself.
2: Yes, uh, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your invitation that we can discuss today uh, about a very important topic in the farm-to-fork strategy. We discuss also in the European Parliament to make our food uh, uh, change more sustainable. And uh, uh, in the farm-to-fork strategy, um, uh, we we discuss a lot of about uh, labeling because we want to give the the information to the consumer to to. Uh, make a decision for a more sustainable and healthy uh, diet and lifestyle. And so we have to discuss what uh, information are very important for the consumer and the Commission. Uh, DG Santé uh, uh, underlines it. Uh, we d- discuss about a lot of labeling. On the one hand about nutrition labeling, uh, on the other hand, about the origin, about the welfare uh, labeling and also about the uh, uh, sustainable labeling, about the ecological footprint. And if you see all the labelings, we have to be very careful that we don't have a jungle of labels in the front part package label. And so I made the proposal uh, in the negotiation about the form-to-fork strategy to think about more about digital solutions uh, to to, to make a QR code, because then you have the the uh, the possibility to, to put more information uh, inside because to make the food supply change more sustainable, you need all stakeholders. On the one hand, the primary agric- agriculture producer, all the, the producer, we have to look about the packaging, about transport and also the consumer. And we don't want that the consumer only make his decision what uh, food or what beverage he takes because of the price. And so you have to to put a lot of information the consumer can have, and we have to be very careful um, that we have comparable information that uh, we have all the same labeling because when you make in every 27 member states different labelings, uh, it's, it's very confusing. And so uh, labeling is, is, is very important and to have the same labeling on the European level to give uh, the consumer and the information, but I'm always honest, labeling will not solve all problems. On the other hand, the one hand is the information we need, on the other hand the education and uh, so for me it was also very important the negotiation that we look to education in kindergarten in school that the consumer understands the information the label can give him.
3: Thank you that
0: was very well said. Um, over to Emma now.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so first of all I'll just introduce myself. I, I'm Emma Calver I work at uh, BEEC which is the European Consumer Organization and we represent 46 independent national consumer organisations across uh, 32 European countries. Um, and really when we, um, in the food team, uh, we're a small team working in Bayek, but when we work on nutrition, we really sort of try to kit, stick to the mantra of trying to keep um, make the healthier choice, the easier choice for consumers and even though this is a very uh, simple phrase, in reality it's, uh, it's very difficult to implement that. And, and why is that? Um, and the reason is because the food environments within which we, we make our, our purchasing choices tend to push us towards the unhealthier choice. Um, so it goes from uh, the unhealthy food marketing that our, our children see on TV or um, on their screen to the billboards for fast food restaurants that we pass on the way to work uh, and then we have promotional offers in the retail environment, as well as confusing labelling. So sometimes we see health claims on foods which really don't necessarily deserve it. And then we also have, of course, price and availability. So there's really a number of uh, issues which contribute to an unhealthy uh, food environment. And as has been said already, uh, there is no silver bullet to, to solve all the problems of the food system. We, we know that, but well-designed um, Uh, policy tools which can have uh, an impact on population health I I think we have a responsibility to enact them where we can in front of pack nutrition labelling um, if it is well designed um, and it has a robust uh, evidence base behind it uh, should also be one of these uh, tools in the toolkit.
0: Thank you so much Um, next to Dr Kerry.
4: Hi there, Um, so I'm Carrie Ruxton, I'm a dietitian and I work for the Fruit Juice Science Centre which funds research into fruit juice and also communicates the science to stakeholders and consumers. Um, Consumers have a lot of dietary messages given to them at the moment, so it's no wonder that very few consumers are actually achieving this healthy diet that we want them to eat. And let's just start with where we need to be directing uh, consumers. If you look at the Global Burden of Disease study, one fifth of mortality um, is due to diet. And more than half of that just comes from three factors. One is fruit and vegetable intakes, one is whole grains, and the other one is high-sodium diets. So really, that's where we want to be targeting uh, consumers to make those changes. Um, Labelling obviously can help in this but only if it gives a holistic view of foods and doesn't just focus on the negative nutrients. It really needs to talk about positive nutrients as well and this is where I think that uh, fruit juice can be part of the solution because fruit juice is 100% fruit juice is simply made from squeezing the fruit. So the vitamins, minerals, the polyphenols and the sugars all come directly from the fruits and nothing is added to it. And if you look at uh, the scientific evidence on fruit juice through randomised controlled studies, we see that drinking fruit juice improves something called vascular function, which helps to reduce people's risk of heart disease. And that is not only coming from the polyphenols, which often can be more bioavailable from fruit juice than whole, whole fruits, but also from the potassium. And potassium has already been identified as a nutrient of concern by EFSA. You've also got fiber, which was identified by EFSA, and you get that from smoothies. So I do see fruit juice and smoothies as part of the solution. But only if we can find a labelling model that gives a more holistic uh, view of these foods and doesn't just categorise them um, based on one or two uh, nutrients that we want to eat less of. So really it's all about giving consumers the, uh, the options to choose more fruits and vegetables, to choose more whole grains and to reduce their sodium, because that's where we're going to get the biggest effect
0: on health.
5: Okay, thank you.
0: And then Lassie Milica.
5: Thank you. Pleased to be here um, and to participate in this debate on behalf of the European uh, Fruit Juice Association which represents since 1962 um, uh, European juice producers but also actually the entire value chain Um, and and the key thing I want to say is that we are really supportive of this um, ongoing legislative uh, initiative from the European Commission to harmonise front-of-back nutrition labelling because we think that um, labels can really be a powerful tool. They can be a powerful tool uh, towards consumers to influence their dietary choices. They can either uh, direct or empower them. Uh, and, and that makes, the, let's say, the responsibility of the legislator mainly, but then all of us as other stakeholders, uh, even greater to really get these discussions right. Eh? Um, uh, this upcoming uh, proposal for, for the revision um, uh, of this regulation is really a key opportunity, mainly to better inform consumers of what they are consuming. Um, and that preferably... Through a, a, a labeling system which is clear, which is complete, but which is also scientifically based, I think those are the really three, three pre, um, uh, re, prerequisites, let's say for in order to have a good system, and I would like to reiterate yeah the, 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 the point that Kerry made that uh, it should not be a system that would focus only on those macronutrients that we are talking about all the time, but taking into account also micronutrients uh, that exist in the food. And uh, another point, why are we taking juice today as an example? That might be the the question, why are we talking about the juice? Well, pointed out already by Kerry, but also by recent studies from WHO, from um, Eurostat, the consumption of fruit and vegetable in EU is declining. It's not sufficient, and it's yet declining. And, I mean, we can only also imagine what will happen with the ongoing economic um, uh, situation. The, the situation is not going to get better for, for the consumption. And, and therefore, we really need to uh, put more effort into incentivizing Europeans to increase their intake, intake of, of fruit and vegetable. And in that uh, context, we see uh, fruit juices and vegetable juices as playing a role Because as already stated, they're directly derived from fruits and vegetables. We have a a European directive that forbids anything to be added to fruit juices, no sugar, no sweeteners, no flavoring, no colors, no preservatives. So it really is a a type of product that can play into that role of helping consumers um, to increase their intake, but only if this is clear on the label. Right, Because, I mean, we cannot expect the European consumers to read the European legislation. What they are making reference to when they're making their dietary choices is the label. And that makes then the importance um, of this discussion uh, 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 even greater. And yes, we really hope that it will be an opportunity to to, um, uh, then uh, do this exercise properly and inform consumers
0: properly. Thank you. Thank you, and it's interesting what you say about people eating less vegetables. I wouldn't have guessed that one, but we will discuss it later. Um, and then finally, um, I think our MEP, Thomas Love Circle has now joined us. So welcome. Um, good to see you again, and please do um, um, introduce yourself and, and, and let us know what, what you think about healthy eating.
6: Thank you very much, Uh, thank you for inviting me, I apologize for not being able to come sooner, but we had some technical difficulties, but hopefully uh, now everything is resolved. Uh, so I'm Thomas Soko, member of European Parliament from Croatia, uh, member of, the, of several committees, uh, but I think two are important: so the Committee on Public Health, on Environment and Public Health, the ENV Committee, and the Committee on Market and Consumer Protection. And uh, in this second committee that I mentioned, the, the, the Committee, I was, I was the shadow rapporteur for the EPP, the, big, the biggest political group in the European Parliament, on uh, Farm to Fork Strategy and here and here here this this is the area this is the document this is the file on which i worked very very hard especially in relation to to healthy eating and uh, so what what so what we in the, in the european parliament want when we speak about eating and what i think is crucial is to provide the consumers with all the relevant information we do not want to tell consumers what to eat unlike some other political groups so so we want to leave consumers freedom of choice but this choice has to be informed so they need to they need to know all the important elements of what they're eating so that they can make up their own mind whether to eat it or not uh, so and for that of course front of pack nutritional labeling is crucial and, and and what and what we in the european parliament want is to have a mandatory and harmonized eu rules on uh front of pack nutritional labeling so that that consumers can choose the diet that they want and we of course preferably a health diet so currently, this is an area which is not regulated in the sense that member states; it is not harmonised. So member states can introduce their own rules on the front of pack nutritional labelling. Some of them have already done that, but what we want, uh, since there are big differences across the member states, and there are big differences in terms of uh, in terms of eating habits, in terms of health, in terms of obesity, for instance, etc. across etc. across the member states. So we want this to be harmonised on a new level. So to have a mandatory system, compulsory system, prescribed by the European Union of what. Kind of front of pack nutritional label should, should there be so that all consumers in europe have the same possibility to choose uh, what uh, a healthy diet uh, so to choose what they what they want to eat so that this is this is our political position i think this is crucial if we want to see some results in terms of uh, in terms of having uh in improving uh uh diet but also strengthening consumer choice
0: Thank you so much, MEP, so cool. Um, Okay, so as I was saying, um, we're going to change things up a little bit because MEP Schneider needs to leave early. So I'm going to just do a quick few questions with her um, and then we'll go to the rest of the panel. So everyone, please do stand by then. Um, Okay, so... M P Schneider then, um, we've heard lots and lots of different ideas, um, what is healthy, what potentially could or should go onto labels. Consumers obviously want choice nowadays. Um, supermarket shelves obviously or wherever you buy your food from, they do give you that. There's lots of choice um, on supermarket shelves, but is the current labeling that we see on food and drink, is it too confusing for people nowadays?
2: Yes at the moment I think so because we have uh, different labelings my colleague always uh, is, uh, said it we have different labelings and so it's uh, it's, it's not so easy uh, uh, to make the right decision uh, so I think we have to harmonize it uh, um, for me it's very important uh, you said it too that it's uh, scientific based uh, harmonized and but the one thing is the labeling as i said in the introduction the other thing is education the consumer must be in the position to understand what the labeling uh, will give for informations uh, 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 maybe we look at the nutri score or at the nutrition labeling uh, we will look what the commission will uh, will propose in, in the legislative uh, report uh, n- the nutrition labeling has uh, the positive aspects is easy to understand because we have the traffic light, you have green until red, uh, but uh, we have to look which groups we put together that we can, compo- can compare it, and I think we also have to work at the algorithm, because for the example food uh, juice, um, you have. Different kind of fruit juice and uh, not uh, always the same. There are there are very healthy fruit juice, if they 100% fr- fruit inside, and, but then they are very high in the natural sugar, and so at the moment they won't uh, will have the, the the green label. And on the other side, if you have a drink where the natural sugar is substitute. With uh, other things, maybe he has a green label. And so I think that information we have to compare for the consumer because we want that the consumer uh, eats and drinks more fruit and more vegetables. So we have to, 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 to get the right information so that the consumer can, can really understand it.
0: Indeed. Now, you mentioned NutriScore. Could you maybe um, expand a little bit more about what that is, and should that be a kind of blueprint for front-of-pact um labeling
2: In the, in the farm-to-force strategy, and I ne- negotiated in the, for the ENVY committee, we, I said that we discussed a lot about different labellings, And Very important is the nutrition labelling. And uh, at the beginning, a lot of want to take the, the, the uh, Nutri-Score as blueprint, and we said uh, in, in the parliament, stop. We need more information. And uh, uh, only to, to to take the uh, the Nutri-Score will not be enough because of the problems we have. So uh, uh, we wait now for for the proposal for the Commission uh, because it it uh, we must uh, put different products uh, groups. I think that's my opinion, so that we can co- compare it and. Uh, um, so it's it's uh, it's the example of fruit juice. It's it's uh, uh, it's uh, very important to know: is this a fruit juice or is this a diet coke or what is this a drink to get the information? And we have it also in other uh, things. So the nutrition, the the uh, the nutrition labelling is is very important. It must be comparable. We need the same labelling in the whole member states. And uh, uh, for these, we need the same conditions. And uh, so it can be a blueprint uh, because it's easy to understand. Uh, but um, I think we have to change some things in the algorithm that the, the consumer really has the right choice and the right information we want to give him to, to have a healthy uh, lifestyle and a healthy diet and a nutrition and sustainable diet.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about this algorithm? Lots of people are perhaps wondering, what is the algorithm?
2: For example, um, if you compare, uh, I always bring this example in the, in the discussion. If I took uh, apple juice from my farmer, there are only 100% apple juice inside, nothing other. And you take a diet beverage um, where are no natural sugar inside, maybe you have a green label by this beverage. But the, at the moment by the Nucci score by the farmer uh, apple juice, you maybe have a red label because he's very very high in natural sugar. And we know if you only drink apple juice with a lot of natural sugar, three or four liters a day, it's not healthy. But uh, it's very healthy to have a portion of uh, fruit and natural juice. And that I mean uh, about the algorithm. Uh, we have to look very careful, not only two or three ingredients, not only sugar, fat. For a healthy, sustainable diet, you need more information. And you, you don't can put it in a labeling, but uh, it's not only the nutrition it's all your health lifestyle who is important for health and lifestyle we have a lot of movement so we have to look and the commission have to look very very careful to the algorithm and then we have to discuss so at the moment i think not we can take the nutri score and in, in at uh now we we know to 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 take it as a blueprint it's it's easy to understand. I think uh, uh, when, we, when, we do, when we make clear algorithm in the background, it would be uh, uh, the right way. Do
0: you mind and if I mention
2: one sure. example? If you get um,
4: a, a chocolate milkshake with added sugar and you put in protein powder, and there is a product like this on the market, you can get a better NutriScore than a fruit juice or smoothie. So it can be manipulated, even though that chocolate milkshake
2: contains more added sugar than the natural sugar in a fruit juice product. That can't be right. And that can be not, in my same opinion, the way of the future that we put natural ingredients outside and... and uh, uh, put uh, industry ingredients inside, and then you give, the, with the score, the information is more healthier. So as I said it's very important to, 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 prove the, uh, to put the groups together that it can be comparable, that we know really what is inside in the beverage and in the food.
0: And then just lastly, there was something really interesting that you mentioned in your opening statement. You talked about QR codes. I love a good QR code. How could that work, and what sort of information could that pack in then?
2: Um, we discuss a lot of healthy nutrition, and we know the cons- consumer today want more information. Um, for example, a beverage also uh, uh, um, for animal health uh, um, and, and, um, and meat, and some consumer want the information where the animals grow or where the juice came from, came it from a farm, where is the farm, how it grows, how the farmer works. And um, that's not easy to put all in one or two labels. So a QR code has the possibility to put a lot of information inside and a lot of information who are not... Binding by legislation, but a lot of consumer want to know it. So you also can 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 use it as farmer or, or a producer to give uh, uh, the information the the consumer wants. And I think the QR code is is, is the right way. And. I think it's a, uh, it's a big opportunity for the European Union to use this com, uh, QR code to, to promote our products in the European Union and uh, 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 to give this information. And you can uh, uh, you can uh, correct info, uh, you can you can if some information are new. Or other information, you can change it. Uh, if you only have a front pack label, you always have to uh, to print new labelling or new front pack. So I think the QR code is a is a good opportunity to uh, uh, to underline that in the U- European Union you will we want sustainable. Uh, a healthy food supply change, and we want to give the right information for the consumer. So if we we put it to, to, together with education, I think it would be a big, big opportunity. And um, I hope the, the Commission will take this idea and uh, uh, put it in the practice. Okay, thank you so much, MEP Snyder. And then um,
0: let's just, well, ask our colleague, um, our panelists from the European Commission. We saw you nodding quite a bit, so... You've heard a lot from all the panellists about what they think should be in labelling. Are you perhaps thinking about QR codes?
1: We are thinking about so many things. And actually, the the introduction of of all the panellists just show how complex this issue is. Um, I mean, uh, I, I fully agree with MEP Schneider on on the role of education uh, to have healthy uh, healthy diets. Um, uh, digital solutions. Uh, it, it, I, I agree on 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 her on, on 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 what she said. At the same time, it's true that uh, a lot of you don't go to the supermarket uh, to read with your codes. In principle, you you need to have uh information available very quickly so there is a, a bit of a debate there uh but then i mean i i've been listening very very carefully to to um to all the other interventions and uh and uh, <laughs> they just justify how how um, difficult it is to get to a solution that is as Kerry was saying holistic uh as milika was saying that it's clear complete and scientifically based at the same time um and all these needs to be in a in a in a tiny label um so it's uh, it's really um it's a bit of a nightmare <laughs> in terms of uh, of uh, proposal uh that's why uh, we're still in the process of of getting the the evidence huh? um because because um we are considering all the all the solutions that are currently on the market uh, all the elements that they include uh, so yeah i think that i can I, I i cannot say uh what solution uh we will be uh, proposing just that there are so many uh possibilities to to um, to consider in uh, in the proposal
0: Indeed. I mean, I was actually going to ask you, Rosa, just separately, um, you know, what the delay for the proposal is. But as you said, it's just a nightmare of information that you have to try to um, condense and to put into very small little labels. But we will continue to talk about that. Um, Emma, you wanted to also have a little thought, um, a comment on QR codes, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say that from a consumer perspective, we certainly see a role for digital tools like QR codes or website links. But really, it's very crucial we define what kind of information we use these digital tools for. So crucial information that consumers kind of need in the supermarket environment, like ingredients, nutritional information, or a front-of-pack label, that really needs to be on the label. And nice sort of uh, stories about the brand or recipes, like that can be put on a QR code that you can use Uh, when you're home, because realistically, we already don't have enough time in the supermarket as it is. There's so many things that need to happen for you to want to use a QR code. You have to, first of all, have a smartphone, have connectivity, know how to use your smartphone, know how to use QR codes. um, And that's not always the case, especially for older generations who want to have that information on the label. So we need to think about what information are we choosing to go offline and which one goes online.
0: It's funny that you mentioned connectivity, because whenever I'm in my local supermarket, um, I never have any connection. Exactly. <laughs> um, but does it, I mean, if, for example, if, if a label was to be too, you know, digital-focused, does that really then exclude, I mean, older generations of people who aren't tech-savvy? Uh, perhaps, OK, you'd like to go ahead. Um, sorry, Dr. Kerry, sorry, you'd like to oh, comment on that. Oh,
4: um, I think it probably would. I mean, consumers, I think the research shows that they look at labels for about two seconds. So, I do think that colour coding helps, but only if it is really helping direct them to the right foods. So, for example, an older person, um, their health needs might be that they need to boost vitamins and minerals rather than be restricting dietary fat because they've already got to an old age uh, or they might be looking for proteins. So if the label is a kind of a one size fits all, always focusing on the, the more negative nutrients, it's not actually going to meet the need of that older person. So I think yes, it's good to have an at-a-glance, but we just need to make sure that it's meeting the person's health needs and isn't this uh, everything is being forced into a one size fits all which doesn't really meet people's needs.
5: Okay. Oh, you know, yeah. Sure. Just add to that. I mean, uh, there is a recent uh, uh, report from JRC, from the European Commission, that indeed says that consumers do prefer uh, coloured uh, labels, uh, which is no surprise. I mean, it's it it it's faster, it's simpler. That's true. But we have to understand that this is really value judging the product, and that again makes the responsibility greater to put Uh, uh, a scientifically based, a good system behind each of these colors. Uh, uh, And and to to our opinion, what we have seen so far in in those voluntary schemes, uh, it it was really on on, um, providing indications and and driving without really giving the information as such, and the element that Ms. Schneider mentioned, without education. So through that label, just giving this or that colour, you're not going to educate consumer uh, about the, the actual nutritional composition of what he's con- consuming. So,
4: But where it could work
5: is, um, as
4: MEP uh, Schneider said, when you're comparing within a category, so say you're going out to buy a lasagna, and you have five choices you can look at the color coding on lasagna to see well which one is healthier for me and my family but then it's very very difficult to compare completely opposing products and i actually don't think um, systems such as neutral score were designed for that because if you look back at the original descriptions of of that system they said it's there to differentiate within categories so Choosing your category might be the way to get past the nightmare that uh,
0: that Roser was mentioning. But isn't also um, the what goes onto the front of the label? That's also voluntary um, information. So is that information being manipulated? I mean, obviously, you said that colour coding is the easiest way. I mean, it's the easiest way for all of us, unless, of course, you are colour blind, then it's a problem. Um, But is that information being manipulated? No, it can't be manipulated because if you've got an algorithm or, uh, for
4: example, traffic light um, ranges of nutrients, then you you can only fit into the ones that are designed. um, Where it be manipulated is by adding extra ingredients to that product so that's much more for the processed products for example the one that i mentioned adding protein powder made a sugary chocolate milkshake look better than perhaps it would be on another scale
0: can you explain that in a little bit more detail how does that actually
4: yeah because you get points for protein so if you've got a product that, um, that has sh- added sugar to it, but if you add protein, you get the positive points for protein, which offsets the negative points from the added sugar. And also because it's a dairy product, it's actually treated like a food. So NutriScore and some other algorithms say if you're a dairy product, you're not treated like a drink where they're very hard on you. They're treated like a food where they're easier on you. And so that product then ends up with a better colour coding. Than something that's natural, which I, I just don't think that's right. I mean, as it's a dietitian, not right, and
0: for anyone that, who's um, exactly. watching and listening, please don't try that, at all. <laughs> if especially if you want to be a healthy person. MEP um, Sokol, you wanted to say something as well.
6: Yes, thank, thank you very much. I also wanted to mention that we had a lot of discussions on NutriScore, not just in the IMCO committee when we were discussing farm to fork strategy, but also in the special committee on beating cancer that I, that I was also a member of. Uh, so this com- so this committee made a report on the on the europe's beating cancer plan and there we discussed uh, the the prevention and because more than 40% of c- cancer cases are preventable and one of the main causes of cancer is unhealthy diet and there we had a big discussion on the labeling and NutriScore, score and the conclusion was definitely that nutri score is not fit uh as to as as this kind of a blueprint for for the eu use one of the one example that we use was the fact that in nutri score coca-cola zero scored better than olive oil and of course for us from the south and from the mediterranean the mediterranean diet is uh, is very important we believe that this is one of the good examples of healthy diet in the european union and of course olive oil is central uh, part of this mediterranean diet and they, this was the reason why uh, using NutriScore as kind of a blueprint for harmonization across the EU was not acceptable and the, and the, and the, 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 the final report of the Becca committee of the special committee on, B- on beating cancer reflects that so there are a lot of problems with the with the nutri score of course the using of the colors in itself is not the problem for me obviously it is true that uh that if you want to get the attention of the consumers that maybe is the best option but sh- what, what's underneath the content uh, should be science-based and 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 that is crucial and and this is why we we believe that any kind of future future proposal by the commission of a unified solution should reflect that uh um, and uh, and also, so this is what I wanted to say. Also, what, what was going on in the Parliament? Uh, we had a big coalition of uh, of MEPs who didn't who who were against using NutriScore. This kind of a blueprint. But also, I, I agree that uh, this that uh, front of pack labeling we don't solve every, everything, even though it is very important. But uh, investing in education is crucial. It is very ne- it is necessary. We have a lot of uh, uh, funding uh, at our disposal, also from EU for health program, the new EU budgeting. Health program for Europe's treating gas supply for prevention, which can also include education of consumers. And I hope that we will be able to invest a lot, a lot of EU resources into it, so that we can really uh, provide the right information and educate consumers on what exactly which label means in what situations.
0: Okay, um, Rosa, let, let me um, ask you the question. Then, do you does the Commission see that that, that Nutri-Score is something that can be so easily manipulated?
1: Well, I think that the explanation was given uh, by Carrie how how you can uh, you know I mean these these all these evaluative uh, schemes include uh, it was explained before uh, an algorithm and it depends on the the, the elements uh, that that in the end uh, count in the algorithm that uh, that uh, will provide a, a color or a value, um, um, but. In, in, the, in the final in the final solution, um, what we are uh, we have been and we are still uh, uh, studying all the all the different systems to to and, and also all the elements, including what was said here uh, in terms of uh, the elements that need to be included in the in the um, in the front of pack uh, nutrition labelling, uh, but. <laughs> And you will not be surprised we haven't got to a solution yet.
0: Indeed. Could I possibly ask you to maybe talk a little bit more detail? I mean, obviously, I understand you said there's there, there's such a wealth of information out there. There's so many options. Um, But are you sort of halfway through your process at the Commission? Where would you say you roughly are in terms of getting this proposal sort of oven ready, as certain prime ministers,
1: former yeah. prime ministers would say? <laughs> We are working on the impact assessment, which is, uh, for those that know how the processes go in the in the EU, uh, the very first step before making a, a proposal. There has not been any proposal yet. Uh, we are still gathering information, gathering evidence, uh, also from Member States. Uh, um, it's been explained. Um, uh, the, 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 the different trends, I'm not going to keep repeating that, and that, that requires a lot of time. Uh, we want to be able to to make a proposal that is, uh, that is as, as balanced uh, as, as possible, and, uh, and for the moment we don't have it. What question, Rosa? Um, MEP Sokol
0: was was talking about um, the Parliament wanting mandatory labelling systems. Um, Are you considering that? um, And also, a lot of the panellists have also talked about education. So is having an education campaign very central to what the Commission is trying to do in, in promoting healthy eating?
1: Is this a question to me or to...? Yes, it's yeah, for maybe. you, yes, it's for you. Oh, sorry, 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 I thought, I thought you were... Um, well, uh, um, definitely um, education is, I mean, uh, front of pack Nutrition Labelling, as someone said also at the beginning, it's not, it's just, it's a tool. Huh? It, it will not solve uh, all the the, the, um, the the healthy diets, uh, and as, as MEP Schneider was saying before, I mean, it's it's the whole healthy lifestyle that we that we lead that uh, will determine whether we are more healthy or not. Um, and and there, obviously, education it's uh, it's important. And, and yes, this is something that uh, we are also considering. Uh, to have um, uh, or to support at least member states on their um, uh, awareness-raising campaigns and and educational tools, definitely. Okay.
0: Um, Emma, you will talk, you know, expanding on the idea of, of, you know, healthy eating and education um, as to what is healthy eating, you brought up bad TV ads, which obviously influence children. I mean, how effective are they in
3: influencing you to eat bad things? Extremely effective especially for children who tend not to have an awareness that there is a um, uh, an attempt to influence them to eat those kind of foods and it makes it all the worse that kids are really bombarded from the moment they wake up whether it's on TikTok or on Instagram now, uh, kids often use like the screens more than they watch TV, but even on TV, they're still very much exposed. Unfortunately, to date, we really have a reliance at the moment on self-regulation, which allows the industry to, to set the rules for what they deem to be acceptable to advertise to children, which isn't very often um, lining up with what the WHO or other health experts recommend for children. Okay, but is there a way to rein in the industry then? What sort of levers are
0: there? Well,
3: regulation. <laughs> Regulations. Is yeah. Regulation, regulation. So okay. We would like to see um, a watershed uh, which covers children um, because we know that children tend to watch uh, TV with their family for, you know, The Voice or X Factor. This is when t- uh, children tend to watch TV the most, but that's not covered by uh, self-regulation. Isn't X at the Factor mo- dead? Uh, is it <old> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there are on, on, uh, online as well. The UK were, um, until recently, they were planning to, to ban uh, online um, HFSS food um, ads. So there's a, a number of ways we can we can tackle it. It just needs a bit of a political will at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure, Milka. Go up, ahead, up yeah. on that, yeah.
5: Of course, uh, 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 yeah, the, the advertising is, is a whole new package, I think, that that uh, provides a lot of opportunities. We said labeling is one of the tools. Um But uh, it it, it can be an interesting tool if if you consider what are current misconceptions that exist among consumers, and that we come back to the point of education, how educated are consumers and who's supposed to educate them. Uh, Specifically on juices, I wanted to point out that actually, uh, according to the EFSA uh, study, uh, one-third... Of European consumers believe mistakenly that there are added uh, sugars in fruit juice so they, that's the point that I made at the beginning they don't know the European legislation they don't know uh, what is in their fruit juice and even worse than one-third of uh, the general practitioners who are you know supposed to be have greater knowledge than an average consumer also mistakenly
0: believe that there is added sugar in fruit juices so Again, I've always thought that that, that fruit juices had added sugar. I mean, perhaps, you know, when when we were younger, I think, or am I wrong to believe that when I was younger that fruit juices had added sugar in them?
5: Yeah, that was the case. In in the last uh, uh, 10 years, uh, there is a regulation that uh, specifically prohibits the, um, uh, the addition of, of sugar to fruit juice. Uh, but uh, in the end, we, are, we see that this old mis- misconception is, is uh, uh, continuing to, to follow us, so to say. And, and we are really looking into tools then, uh, labeling again being one of them, to um, uh, actually give the, the full information to the consumer without obviously uh, making this burdensome uh, and, and taking too much time
0: uh, from the consumer. You also said earlier that people, at least, I think it was you said that, that people are eating less fruit, yes. and so fruit juices are the way forward. Isn't that, I mean, to me, I don't know about the rest of the audience as well, to me that seems a little bit bizarre, um, especially given these times where people are opting for healthier diets, like, you know, plant-based diets, etc. where we're being told um, we shouldn't consume so much meat, you know, put down your steak. I'm sorry, um, people of Belgium, uh, <laughs> don't eat your steaks, at least perhaps not every week, but isn't it a bit odd that people are still not eating vegetables? I and mean, then, Dr. Kerry, I'll ask you to comment later here. Yeah.
5: Well, being it odd or not, it is the fact that we read through reports from WHO, from Eurostat, there was a recent at the beginning of this year, a report from Eurostat showing again a, the, a decline in consumption of fruits and vegetables. I mean, we can talk about reason why this is happening, uh, whether it's appealing or enough uh, or not, uh, whether it's expensive. Don't forget that aspect. Um, uh, but that is, that is the trend. Uh, and uh, as I said also, the, the current economic situation is not there really to, to help uh, change this trend. Um, I think the COVID situation was a <laughs> temporary maybe uh, a boom. Um, but another point that I really want to stress when it comes to the role of fruit juices uh, and vegetable juices, we are not advocating replacing the consumption of fruit and vegetable by juice. Uh, people should be eating fresh fruit and vegetable, but fruit juice can be one of the portions that can contribute to that greater consumption and greater intake of fruits and vegetables, and therefore the, the vitamins and minerals. That that is the very important point that that we want to make. Yeah,
0: I just you one follow-up question for Dr. Kerry. To to um, is there one particular fruit juice that has the most nutrients, or? Best benefits. I mean, especially when we are living in a kind of cost of living crisis, and people are thinking, "Oh gosh, I'm not quite sure um, what I want to put into my shopping basket." Is there any one particular juice that perhaps has?
5: Doctor Dr. Dr. Kerry, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, I
4: mean, the, just all all the hundred percent fruit juices are giving you what's in the fruit, and I completely agree with Milica. We're not saying don't bother to eat fruit and vegetables; just have juice because that's not a balanced diet. But it could be one of them. And I think one of the reasons why people are not eating and Enough fruit and vegetables it goes back to what emma was saying about making the healthy choices easier people are living very frenetic lives they're eating more on the go they're eating in their cars they're eating in the trains and sometimes it's just not convenient to have a piece of whole fruit or vegetable but if you have one serving a day as a juice it's portable and convenient and it can be consumed it's also very cost effective so even if you buy the cheapest option it's still got the same polyphenols that you're finding in the fruit itself. So it's for elderly people and people on a budget, it is an option. So it's part of the solution. It's not
0: there to replace uh, whole fruit and vegetables. Okay, not there to replace. Um, You mentioned cost. So I did do a little bit of, um, you know, calculator work uh, just to give you this guy's example so um, I use the example of carrots because obviously carrot juice is quite a nice juice I don't if anyone else drinks it um, and this is a UK example so I apologize um, so a kilogram of a bag of carrots 45p a 700 grams of organic carrots is £1.30 a 750 milliliter of organic carrot juice is £3 so shouldn't I just rather just eat the carrot?
4: Well, you, you could eat the carrot if you want, but you're going to have to <laughs> chop them and, and cook them. And I want, I want people to eat carrots, mm. so that it has to be part of a package, a healthy diet. I mean, we could say brown rice is, is the super healthy food, but if you only ate brown rice, you would have a deficient diet. So it's about having different options for people. And there will be people out there who have plant-based diets and probably don't need to consume a serving of juice, but there are very many other people, the average in the in European Union, is two servings a day, I mean, surely we can do better than that. And having a serving of juice immediately makes it up to three. And then we can encourage people to, to do other things in their diets. So it is, is part of a package that's being offered to
0: consumers. Okay, so don't just look at the negatives, think about them. No, fits about the, the diet, the exactly. Yeah, yeah. MEP um, Sokol, um, let's, let's build on that then about this idea of people having choice. But the fact is that right now we are living in a cost of, cri- a cost of living crisis. When you go to supermarkets um, all over Europe, the price of goods are getting more and more expensive. So how do you as an MEP talk to you know, people about eating healthily?
6: no that's that's definitely definitely a big problem and, uh, and and there are various reasons for this of course the biggest reason is the external shock uh, because of the war, war in ukraine but uh, the inflation started even before that and i have to say i think uh, some extremist interpretations of uh, green policies have also contributed to to a certain extent to the to the raising of prices so we are co- constantly fighting that that the uh also in also in the parliament. So b because 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 of course um uh Environmental protection is important, and and fighting climate change is important. But we should also be very, very careful that by imposing uh, too much conditions on our on our farmers, that we do not uh, go too much and then make everything so uh, so expensive that it's just not worthwhile for the average consumer. So, so these so these are big so these are big problems. Of course, uh, we are we are we are talking to uh, to the consumers. We are trying to uh, to alleviate the problems as much as as much as we can. But unfortunately when we speak about in general about uh, the about fighting the inflation most of the action has been done by the member states so we were not able to get a common european uh, measures of, on fighting the inflation, the member states are left on their own. Uh, there are also different reasons for that, uh, unlike uh, so, so when it, when we had a problem with COVID-19 uh, two years ago, then we came up with the recovery and resilience facility, additional financing, etc., which helped member states to tackle the problem. Problems, uh, unemployment, uh, uh, the problems with uh, value chains, economic crisis, etc., which came with COVID. So then we had a common European solution, common European budget to to resolve this problem. But now there is no political will on part of the member states to have a common European solution. So unfortunately, for more mo- uh, when so, uh, so to a larger extent, state, member states are left on their own. There are, there are different uh, different measures which are being applied by different member states. What we will do in the end, we, we, we were able to get an agreement to try to limit the prices of uh, of energy, especially of gas. But we still don't know how this will work in practice. So at this point, uh, the situation is not is is is, is not ideal. I, w- I I would say and uh, but but this actually shows us that uh, that if we want to resolve such problems like high inflation like big external shocks like we had with covid-19 we need a common european solution and i hope that in the end uh, this capping of prices that and this new mechanism that is coming up uh, will help uh, reduce prices of energy uh, of energy and then also connected with that also the prices of of other of other things like 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 food but uh, but currently we still don't unfortunately have a common european solution
0: Indeed. Um, Emma, talking about those prices in the supermarket then, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but the common products, you know, products that I notice that I've been putting into my shopping basket for, well, a few years now, they're suddenly going up by 10p, 15p. Mm-hmm. Um, is that going to get worse?
3: Well, we don't know yet how much worse if we've reached the peak yet, but what we can see is that, uh, it's mentioned. we mentioned before, like from our Spanish consumer organisation, OCU, we are finding that consumers are tending to buy um, fewer fresh, um, fresher goods like uh, fruits and vegetables and fresh meat and opting for more processed uh, processed uh, products. And that's where we think mm-hmm. we should be enabling all the levers that we can to help consumers in the supermarket if they wish and if they can go for a healthier option, which is why we support uh, a front-of-pack nutrition enabled to become mandatory as well.
0: Let me ask the doctor on the panel then. Um, given the sort of, you know, cost-living crisis that we are in, what would your advice be to someone who's saying, listen, look, I've got limited money, um, you know, I do limited money in terms of um, what I'm getting for my job, I've got to take care of my family, um, what should they put in their sort of weekly shopping basket to try to maintain a kind of healthy balanced diet?
4: Well we we do encourage plant-based diets and that doesn't mean excluding meat or fish but it means having most of your diet plant foods and if you're buying them in season and produced in your country you can then reduce the cost. Also things like batch cooking and adding beans and pulses where you can replace some of the meat with beans and pulses so there's, there's many things you can do and also accepting that frozen is actually a good option you can reduce prices by buying frozen fruits and vegetables and using them in your cooking. You don't always have to buy fresh. So that can certainly help. And looking at other cuts of meat, we don't always have to have the fillet steak. You know, some of the, the less expensive cuts of meat can be put into slow cookers and used, and that can save money as well.
0: Melika, would you perhaps have to comment on healthy diets? or?
5: Oh, well, um, I, I don't think I have the competence that to talk and talk from my own perspective as a consumer. Uh, but in, indeed, I, I think plant based is not just um, a, 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 a word and an expression which is a la mode, you know. Mm. It is uh, really uh, something that we should all uh, pay a little bit more attention to. There are some other reasons other than nutrition, and, and we're not going to go into environmental debate right now. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're very rightly said at the beginning of the debate that the choice is there. And I think we're lucky to live in a, in an era where we have plenty of choice. Uh, but that might even make the mm. situation or
0: the choice the more yeah. difficult. The choices, I mean, I've got to say that I do... Well, I call myself a flexitarian, really, um, but I do try to do the sort of plant-based diet. But one ingredient I found in a lot of the, you know, a meat alternative, those burgers and everything, is soy. And soy is yeah. terrible for and you. Salt. Yes. I salt. I
4: just said yeah. that salt was one of the top three for increasing the risk of disease. I think that it's a big interest in going plant-based, but we're going too much towards the processed foods. And these are more expensive and they have more packaging. Better to go back to the natural diet that, you know, the the olive oil that uh, MEP Sokol was mentioning, the fruits, the vegetables, the meats, and you know, Europe has this long history of having juices as part of that. So you know, let's eat the things that we all grew up with, because that that's going to be
3: less expensive and better for your health than some of the packaged foods.
0: And is oh, yeah, sure, good
3: idea. sorry. No, just just to say that our members routinely run tests on these kinds of um, products and. It's important to remember that plant-based burgers or alternatives to cheese, whatever, they're not uh, the only things that you can make as a vegetarian, of course. You can make some very nice vegetarian stews, vegetarian uh, chilies. Uh, It's not just uh, plant-based burgers or plant-based steaks, etc. Okay, um, I'm going to go to some questions
0: now, because I think we are getting close to the end of time. Um, there's a question from Julianne for Rosé, so I'll go online. Um, she's, Julianne says, what are the options considered by the Commission regarding the proposal? So this is the question I've actually asked you, but um, she's asking for a synthesis of systems used already used in the EU, for example. Um, interpret that question as you wish. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that I, I partly already replied uh, that uh, unfortunately we don't have a proposal yet, um, uh, uh, and I cannot even say that the proposal will be a, a mixture of systems. Obviously, we are uh, we have taken everything, and we are still taking taking everything into account, seeing the pros and the cons. of of different systems, uh, uh, how to integrate different elements, all the, the, I mean, all the elements that have been actually raised also in this, um, in this, uh, um, in this debate, Uh, but I'm I'm, I'm not in a position to say uh, whether we will be mixing or not mixing systems.
0: Okay. Um, there is another question for you. Again, on labeling. I apologize, Roselle. Um It's from Anne, who says, could you give an indication of the commission's timetable in terms of developing a harmonized environmental labeling
1: scheme? Um well, the environmental labelling scheme goes, goes uh, far beyond uh, uh, this. I thought that we were talking about basically uh, front of pack um, nutrition labelling. Um, we are working uh, in the context of the uh, sustainable food systems framework, uh, which has uh, uh, an element of labelling. But here again, we are even in a, in a um, previous stage of the reflection. So um, uh, I will, I'm sorry for for, to disappoint Anne, but I'm not uh, in a position at all to give any timing, neither for uh, the sustainability framework nor for front of pack.
0: Okay, Um, no worries, and completely understand your position. Um, Mariella says, and and perhaps um, I will come to our doctor again, I recommend a clarification about soy, as a presenter, which would be me, might have given a negative impression about soy. Hmm. Did I?
4: Oh, sorry, <laughs> I thought you meant soy sauce. I was no. thinking about soy Soya.
0: sauce. So, soy
4: um, is beneficial. Um, there's not a problem with that in the food, but when you have a, when you're trying to turn soy into a sausage or bacon or chicken pieces, you have to add lots and lots of other things to it and, and process it quite heavily to give it the same mouthfeel and taste. So, you know, if you go and use soy in part of your diet and you cook it yourself, it's absolutely healthy. But when you, when you make it into a packaged product, it can then have lots of other things added to it.
0: So I was right. Yeah. So
2: yeah, yeah. I Sorry wasn't spreading clarify. misinformation. Yeah. No,
0: because um, that's one of the things I realised with 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 the with the plant based diet is you again have to look at the back of the packet or well look at the labelling to see what is actually is there or not. So I'm um, so I hope Mariella that does actually answer um, your question. We also have well this is about harmonised labelling again, and we might skip that one. Um, friends. Cisco says, we need to be careful about the information we provide to consumers. For example, according to NutriScore, olive oil is category, while breakfast cereals are category B. Food should be assessed as a whole product and not on the basis of the presence of certain nutrients. MEP Sokol, you mentioned olive oil before, so that's the question for you. Do we need to be careful about the information we provide to consumers?
6: yes definitely i i i fully agree so we so the the solution that uh, that commission hopefully will come up uh, up with but of course it's always like this so they, they never tell you anything before before the proposal comes out uh it's uh we'll, we'll have to take this into account so so the the parliament made, made a strong statement in favor of mediterranean diet as something which is which we believe is. Um, is balanced and moderate so moderate uptake of meat and fish also uptake of veg fruit and vegetables and we think that's one of the blueprints that can be used but of course the 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 system needs to take take into account a lot of factors but we we definitely have to be careful and the solution that we provide especially since it will be mandatory so it won't it won't be it won't be voluntary anymore but it will be mandatory so everybody will have to use this in the entire european union we have to get this right and this, and this is why it's important that the Commission comes up with the right proposal. And, of course, that's not the end. When the Commission comes up with the proposal, then the Parliament and the Council have to agree. And one of the reasons why we were not able to have a common European mandatory system up until now is, as with most other things on European level, is the opposition of some Member States. It's all. It's always like that, because we, the Commission proposes, the Parliament then agrees, but we have to get the final agreement with the majority of Member States in the Council, and that's always the biggest problem. So I'm pretty skeptical that we will be able to finish all of this in this parliamentary term, uh, by the by the in the first half of 2025. But of course, we remain we remain hopeful.
0: Let me circle a quick follow-up. Then, Um, isn't it a bit of a shame on Europe um, when when politicians when experts are saying you got to be healthy, but the EU cannot come up with its um, labelling, its front front of pack labelling.
6: It's not a shame on Europe. It's the it, it, it's it's the it's the member states. So so we cannot make any decisions without the member states. So we cannot impose. Uh, we are often attacked that we are some kind of unelected bureaucrats in Brussels who just uh, uh, give orders to the member states. But in fact, it's completely the opposite. In fact, we are usually blocked by the member states because we cannot get the majority in the council. But this is what the member states and the people want. So people want that member states also have a saying in the, in making decisions on the European level, and this is the system that we have. But in, as I said, in most cases, it is the member states who are opposing common European solutions. We, we see it in, man, in many areas, in the, with the energy crisis, for instance, with, with, with a lot of other different things. But this is what member states and people who are like national governments uh, want, at least the majority of them.
0: Okay, members take blame game. Um, Emma, would you like to go first? That's okay.
3: Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, yeah, I just wanted to come back to the point about the categorization of, of certain foods. Um, and it, I think it's important to remember that when we compare products, you're not comparing olive oil with Diet Coke because you're not pouring Diet Coke on your salad. You're not guzzling, hopefully, olive oil as a others. That would be rather disgusting. <laughs> Don't do it, everyone. Don't do it. <laughs> but it's also important to know that the seven European countries who are either using uh, Nutri-Score or who have endorsed it to hopefully be used uh, soon, they have been working on looking at the algorithm to see if there are any areas that can be improved with the algorithm because we've always said that we support the Nutri-Score but we always think that it should be uh, subject to review to bring it into line with any updated um, public health evidence, and the olive oil now gets a B with this updated um, algorithm, so it doesn't, it doesn't score badly, but it never did score badly amongst the fats and oils category. It was always the best fat and oil. Mm. Mm. So if you, if you wanted to choose a healthier fat or oil, you would always have gone for the, the olive oil because it was the best scoring.
0: Brilliant. I- have, I use all of all the time. Um, Milica, you want to speak? No,
5: uh, just wanted to point out, I mean, in, in, in defence to the whole European system, with this proposal I think we are setting ourselves uh, we are very ambitious. I mean, the legislator is very ambitious. It's not an easy task. Uh, and yes, it's probably going to take longer th- th- than we think uh, originally, but uh, it is an ambitious task. I mean, everything we've been talking about since the beginning of this discussion is challenges, challenges, challenges and, and now even, I mean, we mentioned um, uh, the, the what, what are with the traditional diets, like a Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet. We, you just now mentioned uh, another aspect that needs to be taken into account, and that is the quantities of products that are actually consumed. So what, what can you compare? Um, and also the frequency of consumption. I mean, ideally, these aspects also need to be taken into account when you're deciding on what kind of labeling you're going to put and eventually judge this is a good or a bad product. You know that 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 those are also the elements that that need to be taken into account for fruit juices. I can only say that I mean uh, according to Eurostat, there is only 11% of European consumers that consume juice on a daily basis. You know, and then when you take EFSA um, reports, uh, you see that basically this translates into 67 milliliters per day that we are consuming. So I mean. You know, you can talk about overconsumption. Why are people so
0: to fruit juices, then? Let's ask that question. <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah. I
5: don't know. That's
0: yeah. this, is, this is why
5: I, I'm confused
4: <laughs> as well, because if I if I take an orange and I, I eat it and I am chewing it so the juices are going into my mouth, this is good. If I squeeze it into a glass first and then I
3: drink it's it bad. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also important to re- to realize that dietary recommendations, they do... Uh, When they are recommending fruit juices as part of the diet, they do recommend a minimal amount, 150 millilitres usually, or to prefer water. Water is best. Prefer water. Go for water instead. Because they can actually have a significant contribution to sugar intakes. I know in the UK... Uh, After soft drinks, fruit juices, and smoothies, they contribute the second uh, the, the total sugar intake. Uh, they're the, the second highest uh, contributor to sugar intake. So we do have to be but a I bit think cautious. That's true,
4: actually, I think mm-hmm. it was in, in the, the cake and Public health uh, yeah. England, for
3: yeah. adolescents from eight, 11 to 18.
4: I, I calculated it from the, the last EFSA report um, that sugars from everything else in the diet was uh, 41 grams a day, and sugars from fruit juices was six. And this was, this was EFSA's own report, um, and the, uh, the UK, I think it's 6% uh, of the, um, the free sugars from fruit juices and 94% from the Cakes, Biscuits confectionery, which I think are probably the less healthier option
0: question on sugar, isn't yeah. sugar like the biggest drug in the world?
4: No, it's not a drug no. at all. You know, it's, it's, it's not a drug. It's the and most addictive thing, well, the thing I mean, is, if in it, everything. Isn't if there a way to limit no, it? No, it's, it's not addictive at all. And when you look at, going back to the Global Burden of Disease study, which is an international study, sugar um, contributed to less than 1% of, um, of mortality risk. And those products that I mentioned, the whole grains, fruit, vegetables, and low sodium diets, were were more than half uh, of the variation. So if you're going to make an impact on health, which is what we all want. Why would you focus on sugar, which is going to give you less than 1% of an effect, versus the whole grains, fruit, vegetables and sodium, which is going to give you about 54%. So you've got to target your effort where you're going to get the biggest impact on health. And when you look at randomised control trials where they've given people up to 750 mils of fruit juice a day, which I would not recommend, I go for the 150 that, that you've mentioned, they're getting no negative effects. In fact, they're getting positive effects on vascular Function and which reduces blood pressure. So um, you've got to look at the evidence. The evidence says if you're having daily fruit juice, it's having a benefit, not a risk. So you, we shouldn't conflate it with sugar sweetened beverages where you are getting the, the risk to
0: health. Okay. Well, listen, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, so I'll ask all of you now for your closing statements. Uh, Rose, I'll start with you first.
1: Chocolate, which is my favorite. Uh, food. Uh, I would have liked to have some sort of... <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's obviously a, a joke. No, I'll, I'll take Milika's last, uh, last sentence to, to conclude. Um, uh, we are trying to be extremely ambitious uh, and, and, we are, and here we are only talking about challenges, challenges, challenges. Um, and um, I, I hope we will be able to provide uh, and to propose something uh, reasonable in the in the, in the next uh, uh, few months. Um, that's the only thing I can say uh, today. I'm still I'm still optimistic. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Next to MEP Sokol.
6: Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, ha- uh, dietary habits are a big problem in Europe. So almost 60% of adults are in, in the EU are estimated to be overweight or obese. And this is something which con- directly contributes uh, to, to cases of uh, non-communicable diseases like cardiovascular diseases, diabetes and cancer. So this is so this is a major public health issue as well that we need to tackle. European Parliament is committed to resolve this problem, to, co- to contribute to resolve this problem by 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 establishing a mandatory front of pack labeling uh, uh, system on the European level, which would be the same in all member states, which would provide the consumers with all the right information about what they are eating and let them make up their own mind, so without forcing them uh, to do anything. Uh, about the blame game, I have to comment on that. It's not it's not a question of blame game. The, the truth is that uh, we are dependent on the Commission proposal, so the Parliament cannot. St- Propose a legislation by itself, so we depend on the Commission, and after that, uh, of course, also we have to get the agreement with the Council, with, which means with the Member States. The Parliament, the Parliament has, uh, it, on a few occasions, they said what its priorities are. We said that we want front-of-pack nutritional labelling. We want it to provide the right information and not, and not to mislead the consumers. And I'm confident that we will be able to succeed this. The Parliament will not be the problem. The Parliament will do its utmost to get this done after we have the concrete proposal.
0: Thank you so much MP Sokol. Cool. Um, next to Emma.
3: Yeah. Um so just to talk about front of pack nutrition labeling again but I think it's really important when we're we're moving towards this proposal hopefully very soon that we remember to keep the those who are going to be using this tool, uh, which is the consumer, in the supermarket, we keep them in mind when we're designing it. And there's some criteria that we believe any front of pack nutrition label needs to adhere to. It needs to be developed free from commercial interest. It needs to be uh, based on a robust and independent um, evidence or body of evidence. It needs to be interpretive, um, which means colour codes for us, um, because that has been proven uh, time and time again, including in real-life supermarket trials, to be the best way of helping consumers um, derive that information at a glance. Uh, And it needs to be based on per 100 grams instead of uh, per portions, which are assigned by uh, the manufacturers themselves. And we always say that the Nutri-Score is not perfect. Uh, No front of pack nutrition label can ever be perfect but it is the best scheme um, at the moment. So we really hope that we see um, something like it uh, in the proposal. Okay, Dr. Kerry next. Well, I
4: think we need to guide consumers towards those foods and nutrients that are going to have the biggest impact on their health. And those, as we know, are fruit, vegetables, whole grains and lower sodium options. And we need a labelling system that's going to help that. And I do think that having fruit juices and smoothies is part of the solution because these contain the potassium and, with smoothies, the fibre that EFSA says that we need to get more of in the diet.
0: Thank you. And then lastly, Milika.
5: Uh, Yes, thank you. Challenges, challenges. We talked about it. But again, to finish on on a positive note, I think it's a really huge opportunity uh, for uh, mainly the legislature, but then all of us as as a stakeholder to to really uh, come up with something that will help consumers that will help all of us in our uh, daily choices and in our opinion in order to do that uh, indeed uh, labeling is a tool provided that is of course scientifically based and that it's not solely focusing on the negative nutrients. Let's look at the product uh, um, uh, as as a whole, Uh, let's look at as Carrie said uh, fruit and vegetable consumption, uh, how to boost it uh, and uh, what role can fruit juices play in that. Thank you.
0: Thank you all so much. So thank you to all of the panellists, um, to our two panellists who join us online um, and to every all of our um, audience members. I hope that you know what you've heard today has helped you or perhaps empowered you to make those healthy choices. I'm Mariam Zaidi. Thank you so much. Goodbye.